So before we come to look at that passage and unpack it a little bit and see what it means to us today, um, we're going to sing again. And in this particular song, I will offer up my life is more, uh, if you like, a reference of us coming before God now, being open to effectively hear what he might have to say, what he may have already said to us in the service, and what he may say to us through his word. So let us stand to sing. opening lines of a book are the most important. The author Stephen King has said an opening line should invite the reader to begin the story. It should say, come in here, listen, you want to hear this, 
You want to know more about this. Some of my favourite opening lines are these. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of good fortune must be in want of a wife. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Everyone has heard people quarrelling. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. To me, the opening line in the book of Genesis is equally powerful. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We are so familiar with these words and the rest of the story that it's hard to be surprised by them. But try to imagine that you're coming to the Bible afresh for the first time and you didn't know what followed. What would strike you? What stands out to you in this first line? The writer of Genesis is keen to introduce us to God, but perhaps not in the way that we would have expected. We are not told about his character, whether he is good or bad. We are not told what he looks like. We are not told what motivates him or what he values. We are not told what range of powers he has. We are not even told that he is a he. And of course, that would be fairly debatable anyway. I'm sure someone's going to pick me up on that at some stage after this. <coughs> However, the writer does tell us about what God does. That from the beginning, God is at work creating. The very first thing that we learn about God is that he is a worker. And as chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis unfold, and thank you to Peter for reading probably what was one of the longest readings we have put our reading team through of late. <clears throat> but as those chapters in 1 and 2 uh, Genesis unfold, the detail of God's work is revealed to us. We see him creating and transforming a formless void into an inhabited and life-filled planet. <clears throat> we see him planting a garden, growing trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. We see him managing his creation. We see him delegating tasks to Adam and Eve. We see him taking time out to reflect on his good work and on taking some rest from it. And not only in Genesis do we see this, but as we consider the sweep of scripture, we see God continuing to be at work. We see him in caring for creation. If you read the Psalms, numerous Psalms allude to this and explicitly state it. We see God at work in salvation. We see God in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, in transforming and renewing the heavens and the earth. And similarly, we see Jesus at work, described in the beginning of John's Gospel, as the one who through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. But we also see him not only as fully God, but as fully man, and a man who was a tradesman, a man who was a carpenter. So throughout scripture, God is pictured as a worker and continues to be at work today. 
But back in Genesis chapter 1, we see that this work is not only for God alone. He shares his work with his creation. I apologise for this slide. It was very difficult to get a decent slide of Adam and Eve in the garden. (coughs) As you might might expect, they weren't Facebooking much around that time. Um, And I was so taken by Jonathan's little videos of Lego people that I thought this was probably the best way of showing a naked Adam and Eve. Um, You may not agree with that. (coughs) But one of the things I was really struck by was that what God does with Adam and Eve in the garden is he blesses them. And then once he's blessed them, he effectively gives them a job description. He says to them in verse 28, God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Summarized, basically God says to them, Populate the earth and then go and rule and subdue it. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, we see how that is put into practice initially. Uh, In in verse 15 in chapter 2, we see that the first thing that God does with Adam is to place him in the garden, (coughs) the garden that God had planted, and he gives them the task of working it and taking care of it. Then he gives Adam the task of naming all the beasts and birds. I have to say, when I thought about that, I thought, I wonder how long that took. Think of it, for all of us who hate filing, okay, and ordering, I thought, what a job. Of course, this was pre-full, and he probably loved it, but however. But what I was interested in is God allows Adam to choose the names. God doesn't tell him what the names are. And basically, through this task, what we see is Adam demonstrating his God-given creativity, bringing meaning and order to the creation of God. Now, of course, God could have easily carried out all those tasks that he gave to Adam and Eve by himself. And in fact, actually, prior to creating an Adam and Eve, that was what he was doing. What is significant, though, is that from the beginning, God made Adam and Eve his co-workers, He he asked them to collaborate with him and share in his work. And this first instruction, this first commission, as some have called it, was given before the fall occurs. And that tells us that in the original design, in God's original design, work was a good thing. And that God's intention for us, for all of us, was that we should be workers. Now, often when we think of work, we often think of paid employment. But what we see here in Genesis is a much, much broader definition of what work is. It is anything that reflects God's care and his rule in his world and in his creation. Timothy Keller, um, in his very helpful book, Every Good Endeavour, reflects on Genesis 1 and 2, and he concludes... Work has dignity because it is something God does and because we do it in God's place as his representatives. Work has dignity in itself, but also all kinds of work have dignity. Unfortunately, work, along with the rest of life, can be affected by one of the subtlest heresies in the Christian faith which is so ingrained that we hardly even notice its existence. It is the lie that God is more interested in 
and values more greatly certain aspects of our lives over others. The lie says, God is interested in prayer, in church services, in church-based activities, the work of missionaries, in the giving, the tithing, in Sunday school, in house group. But he is not really interested in our day job, the music we listen to, the money that we keep, our leisure time, what we watch on telly, our schools, our universities. This segmentation of life is often referred to as the sacred-secular divide. And I would suggest to you that this dichotomy is nowhere seen so clearly as when we consider the area of work and vocation. Mark Green from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity and the author of the book, Thank God It's Monday, says that we have established a holy hierarchy of work where, as he says, all Christians are born equal, but full-time Christian workers are more equal than others. He says that our hierarchy of highest calling has Christian missionaries at the top, has the ministers next, has the blessed professions such as health or education or homemakers or public servants next, and business, commerce and industry are at the bottom. And woe betide if you happen to be an investment banker. (laughs) Yet nowhere in scripture do we see this division. In contrast, what we do see is God at work through heroes of the faith who are farmers, tradespeople, parents, ministers, business people, public servants, manual labourers, retired people, housekeepers, tax collectors, fishermen, doctors, teachers, etc. Back in 1954, I had to work out that that was 60 years ago, My maths is not always that good. I hope that's right now. I might put that wrong. But the World Council of Churches said, the real battles of faith today are being fought in factories, shops, offices and farms, in political parties and government agencies, in countless homes, in press, radio and television, in the relationship of nations. Very often it is said the church should go into these spheres But the fact is that the church is already in these spheres, in the persons of the laity. The highest calling upon our lives, your life and my life, is to serve God where he has placed us. This is our front line, and it might be a place that changes over the time of our lives. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You and I are uniquely placed on our front lines with our particular blend of gifts, talents and personality traits to be co-workers with God, to be the answer to that prayer to bring his kingdom in. Before I go on and perhaps look at that a little bit more practically, I'd like us actually just to stop for a moment, I'd like you to consider what is your front line? 
Where's that place where you spend most of your time? Whether you are in paid employment, whether you do voluntary work, whether you work within the church, whether you are at home, whether you are in training, or you're around a specific group of people, whether you're at university or school. And I'd like you just to take, it'll only be about half a minute, I'd like you to reflect, what is it like there on your front line? What are the opportunities in your front line? What are the challenges that you face? Let's just take half a moment to ponder that. Okay, back to Genesis. What we see in those early chapters of Genesis is that God transforms the formless, empty, dark earth and he gives it shape and order and he fills it with life and light. We similarly, in whatever our front line is, are called to be agents of change, to be salt and light to collaborate with God to bring about his kingdom rule. So what does it mean to be an agent of change? I would like to suggest four things. It means pursuing excellence. In your front line, do you do a good job? Do you provide a good service? Whether you are being paid or not, whether anybody is watching or not. What is your motivation? What is my motivation, my attitude to my work? In Colossians 3.23, Paul talks to slaves and he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. I would suggest that one of the ways to please God in our work and to be a change agent is simply to do it well. It might mean it'd be as simple as returning phone calls, meeting deadlines, doing what we said we would do. Secondly, I think it means that we should care for the people who are around us. As we know, and we have shared some of that ourselves today, life is not always easy. And people don't leave their troubles at home or at the office door when they come into work. Are we good listeners? Are we kind? Are we generous? Are we trustworthy? Are we able to keep confidences? Do we bring hope and encouragement where there is that opportunity? David Ausberger, who uh, works with a charity called Caring Enough to Hear, makes what I think is a very powerful and insightful observation. He says... Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. As you consider your front line this morning, is there anyone who God will bring to mind who needs you to show them God's love and compassion? 
Thirdly, sharing our lives and our faith. Our lives are constantly on display by those we relate to on our front line. And often, especially in paid work, we may actually spend more time with our colleagues than with our friends, and sometimes even with our families. People see us in a whole range of situations, a whole range of pressures, and our lives will speak more loudly than our words. And I would say that we often only get permission to voice our faith, what we believe, if we are seen to live it out first. Some of you will remember a few weeks ago when Steve was speaking. It was just after the July 12th holiday and he was reflecting on the resurgence of trouble in the city, which we have sadly seen again uh, in the past few days. He challenged us as a congregation about how we viewed communities that were different to our own, about our willingness to engage, to seek to understand and to respect others. As I've been preparing for this morning, I was struck by the fact that the workplace is one of the few settings in Northern Ireland where people really do mix. Those of us who are in such workplaces have a natural opportunity to take up Steve's challenge and to model a different way, to foster understanding and reconciliation, and so to contribute to the transformation of our society and to the prospering prospering of our city that Elmer prayed for earlier. Finally, in this little section, sometimes it means staying afloat. This is time for a reality check. A US Army commander called Thomas Brazel once said, Monday is a bad way to spend one-seventh of your life. At some point or other, we have all had that Monday morning feeling, and we could echo the boomtown rats, I hate Mondays. I don't have time, you'll be pleased to hear this, I don't have time this morning to delve into Genesis chapter 3 to explore the impact of the fall on the work that we do. But I imagine that every one of us here today has experienced it and Christians are not exempt from it. Our front line, our place of work, instead of being something that is good, where we are to be co-workers with God, where we are ruling and subduing the earth, in contrast, it can often be a place that leaves us feeling battered, a place where we are bruised, where we are wounded, where we are worn down by the pressures and situations that we face. We live in an era where job insecurity is the norm, where people are unemployed, where people have temporary contracts, where we are required to apply for our own jobs or we face redundancy. We may have to deal with difficult people, difficult relationships, tensions, disagreements, and pleasantness can all be uh, the norm, the order of the day. It's interesting that in regular employee surveys, it is often revealed that most people leave managers, not jobs. Often increasing demands are made of us in our workplaces with fewer resources. Competitiveness rather than collaboration is the norm. Often there is a pressure to deliver and succeed whatever the personal cost is on family life, on integrity, on our health. Sometimes our role on the front line is just to stay afloat and success 
is surviving another day, surviving another week. As I come to a close this morning, I would like to end by just sharing a few practical suggestions that I've found helpful as I have considered and experienced life on the front line. Firstly, it's recognising that my identity is as a child of God and not in what I do. We are deeply and passionately loved and accepted by God. We have nothing to prove to him. He loves us as we are and we do our work whatever it is wherever it is in the context of that relationship with him secondly the encouragement to draw on god's presence and his promises as mentioned earlier god values and is interested in our front lines have you considered consciously inviting god to come with you into your front line into your workplace I heard a speaker once say, the Holy Spirit is willing to hitchhike into work with us. Are we prepared to give him a lift? God has given us many promises about supporting us and helping us, providing us with wisdom, giving us strength, patience, etc. Let's draw on these and take him at his word. And then finally, surrounding ourselves with encouragement. Developing a personal support network. Finding other people who might pray for us in our front lines, wherever that happens to be. I have a friend who I have a virtual coffee with every month just to talk about our workplaces and to pray for them. In my last church, um, there was a Saturday morning prayer breakfast from half past eight in the morning to half past ten just to encourage workers. It was seen as the best time for people not to ruin their weekend and lose that family time, to come and be supported, but to come and share, to come and be supported, to come to a place where we don't often talk about our work and the pressures that are on them. Last week, Jonathan talked to us about Joseph the dreamer, and he encouraged us to reflect on what our dreams were. As we go into this new week, what are our dreams for our front line? What are your dreams? What are my dreams? How can it become more of a kingdom place where we serve God and love our neighbour? And let us think, how can we support each other to make these things happen? Let's pray. I'm going to use a prayer that a friend of mine wrote uh, for a course that he had just completed in his church around this area of front line. Father God, giver of life and maker of all good things, we bring our lives to you. In creating the world, your spirit was at work, forming, shaping and filling In Eden, you planted the garden, and in Nazareth, your son learnt the trade of a carpenter. Thank you that you have called us to share in your work, to be the hands and feet and voices that reach out to a hurting world with your love and compassion. We ask for your help in the places you have put us 
to establish your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you that our work is much more than a means to pay the bills. Our work, whether paid or unpaid, reflects your creative nature and has the potential to bring hope, to build up and to inspire. We bring our front lines to you today, where people may, know, may not know you, at the school dates, in the office, the lecture theatre, in the gym, with our families, or even having a coffee with friends. Help us understand the uniqueness of our front line. Give us a genuine love and interest in the lives of our neighbours, colleagues and family, and a real commitment to prosper this city. Help us to encourage one another and to faithfully pray for each other's daily routines, our frontline opportunities and our challenges. In all that we are and in all that we do, we give the glory to you, Lord. Amen.